electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm Brian Sullivan, and tonight, an explosive short report alleging that Timu, the most downloaded free app in America, is actually spying on you and selling your data. The author of that report here to explain with markets off to a shaky September, a top wealth advisor with over $200 billion under management is begging you to not do one thing. More money, but fewer miles, while the wealthy are skipping right past gas stations a lot more than anybody else. A massive lithium land grab out west, as some bet it'll be the new oil, but NASA says not so fast. Jane Wells will tell you why. Plus, remember when presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis told us this about Disney's lawsuit? They're suing the state of Florida. They're going to lose that lawsuit. So what I would say is drop the lawsuit. Well, we have some late-breaking details out of Disney and that lawsuit. We'll have them for you. Move up and then move out? A mind-blowing new study on how many workers leave right after they get a promotion. What? And the NFL season kicks off tonight on NBC. So after a big betting year last year, can I beat the books again or will I just get crushed with the masses? I'll give you three fun picks for the weekend and get graded by a sports betting savant. That and much more all hour long. So as always, belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. Hi, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. All that coming up. But first up on Last Call, knock it off, China. And they are, literally. Apple and its investors may be learning the hard way that China's President Xi Jinping means business. In a shock move, China is outlawing the use of Apple's iPhone for all government or state-sponsored employees, period. Instead, government workers will be issued a new phone. Likely, by the way, the one just released by China's own telecom company, Huawei. That's right. Apple has a big new competitor in one of its biggest markets. And it seems clear that China's government wants to make a bold move to promote its own products over those of California-based Apple. Or could this be retaliation for Apple checking out India as a new manufacturing location? Or maybe because the U.S. and Canadian governments have outlawed Huawei products. We don't know. But either way, this is not the first time an American company has been taught a hard lesson about the hard-knock world of doing business with Beijing. Boeing and Airbus now face competition for selling passenger jets after China rolled out its first commercial aircraft a couple of years ago. And Tesla and General Motors, yeah, they're also dealing with lower-cost competition from Chinese car companies like NIO. In fact, check this out. A sharp-eyed viewer caught the CEO of NIO literally like checking out and handling a new Tesla at the Munich, Germany auto show this week. The move by China costing Apple investors money as well. Although the stock is, yes, up nicely on the year. It's had a rough couple of days. Apple is now down over 6%, leading Apple to lose $186 billion in market cap. That, my friends, is more than the entire market cap of our beloved parent company, Comcast. 
So what exactly is the message being sent here by Beijing and how concerned should investors be? Let's bring in the perfect re- person for this discussion. Heyman Capital Management and founder and chief investment officer, Kyle Bass. Amazing, Kyle, right? Like Apple starts to look at India for manufacturing. There's human rights concerns. And next thing you know, the iPhone is banned for government employees. And I'm willing to bet more people down the road. Yeah. Uh, first of all, great to be here, Brian. Uh, you know, you said it was a shock move. I mean, uh, this is this is down the center of the fairway for Xi Jinping and, and his administration. And w- what exactly is going on in the Communist Party? If you think about it, uh, you know, Teslas were banned in the in Chengdu, the city that the world, uh, 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 the area that the World University Games are being held because Xi Jinping was going to be there, and uh, they didn't want uh, any sensitive images being recorded by Tesla's camera cameras. Um, they, you know, Huawei announces the new uh, 5G smartphone using seven nanometer chips from SMIC, and uh, shortly thereafter, they ban iPhone usage uh, amongst the government. To your point, Brian, Apple thinks they're going to sell 45 million iPhones in China in the next 12 months. I will take the under on that number for anything you want to bet. When China gets anywhere close to Apple's performance, they're just going to underprice them and, and run them out of business. It's what your 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 lead in said uh, Western businesses are, are going to uh, graduate from the school of hard knocks in China. And, and unfortunately, Western investors, Western businesses, they're all going to end up with very little of what they have invested there uh, if they don't start harvesting and, and leaving now. You're on the books, 45 million taking the under, Kyle. And here's the other thing, too. It's that I don't know if this is more of a blow against Apple or just the promotion of their own new Huawei phone. But here's and I've been to China a couple of times. Here's how things work. When the government dictates something and everybody sees Communist Party officials with the new Huawei phone, it's almost not an imperative, but it's pretty damn important for the population to not go against the Communist Party. I would expect to see a lot of Huawei phones sold, if only for that reason. Yeah. Uh, You know, look, you hit it right on the nose, Brian. I think that, you know, several I read several analyst reports today just just to see uh, let's say what, what mainstream Wall Street was saying, because clearly Wall Street doesn't want this to happen. Apple's the most widely held stock in America. Um, you had mentioned it lost 180 billion. It's only down six and a half percent in a couple of days, right? And, and after still having a, a pretty good year. But I, the me- one other message is being sent here that I think it's important to think about. And the message is being sent is we're going to ban it in the in the formal communist government as well as the state. Uh, state-owned or state-owned enterprise areas around China, uh, and that is a shot across the bow. And, and and what you'll see is you see people like the U.S. China Business Council, and you see all the lobbying firms in D.C. running to D.C. Uh, saying we need to reopen talks with China because we need this uh, uh, um, flywheel of capital and money uh, to keep to keep uh, uh, moving forward here in the United States. You know, the greed runs everything here in the private sector. And this is a shot across the bow to get U.S. businesses to move into D.C. a little harder and say, we still need the, these channels of sales into China. Uh, and, you know, look, Tim Cook's never been one to to come out against the the ethnic and cultural genocide in China or the live organ harvesting or any of the human rights abuses over there. Uh, he's a very, they're a very woke corporation in America, but once they hit the, the ocean, they kind of forget what that means. And and it's all it is is just chasing yeah. uh, uh, money across the, across the ocean. But it's really important to note 
that you're going to see a flurry of activity uh, that's that's been greater than it has been so far by the chip companies uh, in D.C. Th- those are far more important than shoes or coffee. I, I get that 100 percent. And by the way, if you're going to buy a solar panel, that's cool. Make sure you know where it came from. And it's not made in one of those prison labor camps, in the far west part of China. Nike and Starbucks, if their CEOs called you, Kyle, and said, hey, we what's our China strategy here? Because they want to sell coffee. They want to sell sneakers. You know, basketball is huge in China. What's the advice to another kind of a a consumer type of CEO, non-tech? Yeah, um, you know, you've seen Xi move more uh, in a nationalistic move. You saw him really gin up anti-Japan sentiment under kind of the false reporting of what's going on in Fukushima. You've seen him run eight-part series on how the Chinese military is ready, willing, and able to go land on the runways of Taiwan, and that's been their life's mission to finally take the island. You've seen him ginning up very specific nationalistic fervor. And my view is Western businesses will suffer the brunt of of Xi's turn inward and focus on the state. Uh, And and we all know that China's economy today is really circling the drain, um, given their their real estate woes, their youth unemployment, and uh, their hopes that they can stimulate their way out of this mess. When you look at the leverage embedded in China's economy, um, it's much greater than that of the United States. And so China's kind of got its hands full. They've got 25, 30 plates spinning, and the plates are, are all kind of rotating very slowly, and a few of them are stopping. And I, you know, the, the, the question is, is, can they keep them all up in the air? Or will they all crash? We're going to find out because the next couple of years should be very interesting for China and the world, given its importance. And before we let you go, Kyle Bass, happy birthday. Hey, thanks very much, Brian. I wish you were here to uh, to celebrate uh, uh, the birthday. I don't celebrate birthdays that much, but having, you know, all of your friends around you is uh, something that's a it's a great thing. So I, I appreciate that. No, listen, man, at our age, it's like every 10 years at best. We, we acknowledge we're still birthday. in our prime. We're still in our prime. I keep telling people that I'm just not so sure. Like a dry age steak is still in its prime. <laughs> Kyle Bass, thank you very much. You are my friend. Appreciate it. All right. We have got a lot to do on this Thursday coming up while the markets are off to a shaky September. And why one of America's top-ranked wealth managers says you could be making a classic mistake. What not to do right now? Coming up, plus, Jane Wells joins us on the lithium land grab live from right there in the middle of the Nevada desert. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're a big believer in the electric car transition, then you know this. Lithium is basically the new oil or gasoline. It is needed to power much of the batteries running Teslas, Mach-E's, and more. Most of our lithium is sourced from far away and hard to get to places like Chile or far western Australia. But there is one place in America that could triple our domestic supply of lithium. And of course, is smack dab in the middle of some place called Railroad Valley, Nevada. Jane Wells schlepped out there, took her days. And there's more on this important story. 
it looks like a desolate and worthless piece of land. Railroad Valley in eastern Nevada certainly is desolate, but it could be far from worthless. We have 84 million tons of lithium in situ in this playa area. You think? No, that's, we actually have calculated that with 1,100 data points. It's a pretty good calculation. Vincent Ramirez is a geologist and veteran oil driller who now runs 3PL Operating, a company that's raised $30 million and bought leases from the Bureau of Land Management to explore tens of thousands of acres here, hoping to extract lithium and other valuable metals and minerals. This is a great example right here, is where we evolved from clay deposits and um, up into salt deposits. Stanford-educated geologist Karen Loomis says the lithium has been found over a thousand feet underground in the valley's intensely salty deposits. Oh yeah, that's salty. 3PL's tests indicate that out of the estimated 84 million tons of lithium, they could eventually recover 20 to 25 million, making it by far the largest find in North America and a domestic supply for the electric vehicle industry. But here's the problem. This is a piece of NASA equipment. NASA uses this valley to calibrate its optical satellites, which are about half of its satellites. It loves this area. It's big, it's flat, it's firm, and it's the right shade of white for the cameras. And when NASA saw a mining operation moving in, it feared the valley's surface would be disrupted and impact its calibration. So it went to the BLM, which took away 11,000 acres from 3PL, an area right in the middle of its claims that may include the most concentrated lithium. Then Congress got involved. Railroad Valley would conservatively triple the lithium resources currently identified in the United States. 3PL's chairman Kevin Moore testified on Capitol Hill, and there's now a bill in the House to give the leasing rights back to the company. But NASA's Hal Mehring tells me that would harm the nation. Railroad Valley is unique, he says. In the United States, there is no other place like it. And he claims 3PL's planned extraction technology has not been tested at scale. Quote, we don't want to be the guinea pig. This is not a matter of figuring out whose role is more important. We're not questioning the importance of what NASA does. Believe me, we're not questioning that. But we also believe what we're going to do is important, and we believe they can coexist. Now, NASA also calibrates its optical satellites in other areas of the world, Libya and China, which can be difficult to get NASA personnel in on the ground. That's why they love this so much. Meantime, Brian, 3PL can continue to mine and explore on the thousands of acres it has outside the NASA zone, and it hopes to convince the space agency that it's not going to disturb the surface. NASA says if they can prove that, then no problem. Back to you. Jane, I got two questions for you. The first one is this. Does anybody else need to use those NASA satellites? Like, I got kind of a gist as to what the real sticking point is, but is there something we're missing here? Well, NASA uses it to provide crop pictures for agriculture, look at air pollution, hopes to use it for climate science. It claims NOAA also uses uh, the data from that and private enterprise does. I also reached out to the Pentagon. You know, they got optical satellites to see if they need this wide flat area to remain undisturbed. They did not get back to me, but 3PL hopes to convince them we can all live together in this area. It's an untested technology at scale is what NASA says. The other question is far more serious and important, Jane, because I looked up old Railroad Valley on the Google Maps, and I see that it is about halfway hard between Warm Springs and Ely, not Eli, Ely, Nevada. How the heck did you get there? 
Um, we stayed in Tonopah, home of the Clown Hotel, quote, scariest hotel in America. And then you what? drive out uh, the six, about 100 miles, and then you go off-road for about 25 miles, and it's paradise. I think I saw that exact location at the end of True Detective Season 2 with Vince Vaughn. If you know what I'm, if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about when he makes an unfortunate decision. Uh, can you tell us more quickly about this clown motel? Because I'm, now I'm interested. Uh, just Google it. If you Google this, Google that, and you'll have nightmares all night. I already have nightmares for you. Jane, safe travels, by the way. Thank you for for dragging you and the crew out there, because that is in the middle, literally, of nowhere. But uh, Tonopah, heard that in a song. Jane, be well. Look at that. Wide open Jane Wells. All right. And that brings us to this, because speaking of cars and driving, let's get random but interesting about those two things, because things have changed on the road since the pandemic, at least for one small and rather elite group. Investment bank RBC's Michael Tran puts out this excellent report about gas station visits around America, following how often Americans are going to the gas station. Tran and his team first break down gas station visits by where you live. Now, the U.S. government breaks down gas demand into five areas called PADS. There they are. That is short for the unwieldy Petroleum Administration for Defense Districts. Tran notes that in all but one region, gas station visits for last summer were the same or higher than before the lockdowns was much higher in the Gulf Coast area, which, of course, never really shut down. On the West Coast, still far fewer trips to the old gas station than a few years ago. RBC says probably three main reasons why. First, more people out in California and the West own electric cars. Duh. But also, a lot of high-tech workers can go remote. They've also had a lot of layoffs, so maybe people don't have a job to drive to. Speaking of remote work, here's what's even more interesting. RBC also found that how much you go to the gas station probably directly relates to your income. The more you make, the less you stop at a Union 76 or Valero. Look at this. People who make over $225,000 per year have 15% fewer gas station trips than three or four years ago. It's probably because that group can actually afford most electric cars. They can also work remotely or probably some combination of both. The harder hit, of course, are those under that income level, with both the sub 200K and sub 100,000 per year incomes, nearly at the same number of gas station trips, down just about 3% for each. But what hurts more is that gasoline prices are up 31% from right before the pandemic. So about the same number of trips to the station, but paying a lot more while you're there. Once again, the working class gets hosed. Random, but expensive. Right, for more on this story and gas in general, because it's got some other interesting data points. Let's bring in Gas Buddy's head of petroleum analysis, Patrick DeHaan. He's got a big warning about gas in the Midwest. I'll get to that in a moment, Patrick. But first, really fascinating report there from RBC. You think this is purely the, you know, rich people can drive EVs effect or something else? Well, I think they have some really strong points there. And thinking about how much gas stations have evolved, it's not just about the fuel they sell, but also what's in the store. Look at how Americans have been craving convenience, right? We're all doing things from our apps. You can actually get convenience store items delivered to you now with an app, which will be interesting to know if that study looked at some of the C-Store visits. Are people that have higher income brackets, are they using apps to buy things that are convenient to them? Because keep in mind, too, during the pandemic, more Americans were going to C-Stores 
than there were grocery stores, or I should say those numbers skewed because Americans wanted to stay away from some of those big stores. But again, a lot of this, a paradigm shift happening. Uh, but keep in mind, the real estate behind the C store is highly sought after, too, with a lot of mergers and acquisitions when it comes to those big format travel stops. I also saw, Patrick, you were on the Twitter or the X, whatever we call it these days, warning users and some of your gas buddy friends and users in the upper Midwest, parts of Missouri and Oklahoma, that they're likely to see a big spike in gasoline prices very soon. What is going on? Yeah, Brian, uh, certainly impacting those brackets that we talked about or that you mentioned earlier, those lower incomes, it's going to be hard. We're already seeing some pretty hefty increases across those areas of the Corn Belt. Uh, some stations, many stations will likely end up going back over the $4 gallon mark. And this is so many states. I think we counted eight states. Refinery outages is squeezed just ahead of the transition back to cheaper winter gasoline, which happens next week, Saturday. There's a lot here unloaded, uh, refinery mm -hmm. issues, the summer squeeze as we transition over to winter gasoline, and all of that culminating in a massive jump in the wholesale price of gasoline for those Corn Belt states. So if you're listening in the Corn Belt, you may wake up tomorrow and your gas station could be 40 to 70 cents a gallon more than when you go to bed tonight. Wow. Overnight. Patrick DeHaan, uh, great stuff. Folks, you have been warned. Fill up like now. Patrick, thank you. All Thanks, right, still ahead, some big money advice you will only get here on Last Call. Your next guest has been rated the top wealth manager in America many times, helps run over $200 billion in client money, and he got there by not doing one thing. What that thing is and why you should not do it, next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, as you know, if you've been following the market, it's been kind of a shaky start to September, and we're only four days in. The NASDAQ down 2% this month, the S&P not far behind. So sitting at home right now or maybe commuting back home or at your desk in California, you may be getting worried, especially after a big run to start the year. What do I do? But here's the key. Don't try to outsmart yourself. And more importantly, listen to advice from folks like your next guest. He's one of the most highly rated wealth managers in the world, many times ranked number one in the entire country. He's the Alabama Crimson Tide, if you will, of wealth managers. And he's here now to help with some tips to help you stay calm and it will not cost you a dime. Joining us now is Peter Maluki, is the CEO and president of wealth management firm Creative Planning with a the tidy $245 billion under management. They recently bought Goldman Sachs' personal financial management unit. Peter, great to have you on last call. Really appreciate it. You've made it. You've done it. You're rich yourself. Um, and we teased it. What, what are people... We always talk about what to do. What do we not do right now? Well, I think if you look at the, what's interesting about this market is there's been so many times in the past for people to completely freak out about all kinds of things. COVID was the most recent one, the biggest 34%, the quickest 34% drop in history, 08, 09, 9-11, tech bubble. I mean, people are emotionally scarred. And now we're going through one of the longest corrections in the last 30 years. It's very rare to be this long without going back to a market high. And just now people are starting to get impatient. And when people get impatient, even before they were just traumatized, 
Now they're impatient. And when people are impatient, that's where they make mistakes. If you really look at what separates that multimillionaire next door from everybody else is the multimillionaire next door does not lose patience. They don't lose their minds in markets like this, and they focus on the long game. Why do people, and, and I say this with respect and love to anybody listening or watching who has done this, so it's just, it's, maybe it's human nature. Why do people tend to sell at the wrong times, Peter? I think it's just human nature. I think you think, the thing about people who have investments, they've usually done really well at something. So if you're an architect or you're an athlete or you're a doctor, you're sitting with the other athletes, architects, and doctors and going, well, if I'm better than them, it's because I worked harder or I'm smarter. And so you think that carries over to investments and that somehow you're going to outsmart the most efficient market in the world. And you tend to do what you do in your other job. You bring in pieces of information. You work a little harder. You study a little harder. You study a little smarter. But the issue is, unlike your other job, this is far more dynamic. There are thousands of variables coming in. You can nail everything perfectly. And if there's a cyber attack tomorrow, forget it. I mean, you just can't make tactical everyday decisions yeah. and expect to win. And, and this is, I'm going to say something that I'll say it because you can't, because these are your clients. Uh, and, and I say this again out of deep respect, met a lot of really successful people. You know, you, you start something, you build a company, you sell it, you become rich. People do people, it's a question, tend to overestimate their ability at something else, i.e. investing, if they also happen to be really good and successful at something totally different. I think they do. Uh, uh, well, you're 100% right. I mean, there's an interesting study that says when somebody says I'm 99% sure of something, the odds that they're actually right are about 75%. We all <laughs> overestimate That's everything. random we, but interesting, Peter. Yeah, yeah. You also look at all these studies like am I on a top quartile driver or am I court top quartile or husband or dad or whatever, everyone says that they are. We all overestimate ourselves. And so if you have been successful in one thing, you expect it to translate into something else. And we, we see that a lot with our clients. I mean, if you really hit a grand slam in business or anything else, it's very hard to replicate it somewhere else. You know, you can see that from Michael Jordan all the way to the typical business owner. But I will say this about the typical multimillionaire next door. They really are prudent, disciplined, calm people in general. They're They're boring. You know, they're not going to get a lot of press time because they really are making methodical decisions. They're much more about consistency and discipline and repeating the right behaviors over and over. That's how they became wealthy and that's how mm -hmm. they stay wealthy. But th there is that yeah. segment that tries to hit the grand slam again and you usually doesn't work out. Yeah. Boring. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Boring, I think, is the new sexy, particularly when it comes to investing. Peter Malouk, Creative Planning. Great to have you on. Don't be a stranger. The time zones match up now for us, Peter. It works perfectly. Happy, happy back. Good to see you again. Yeah, by the way, your Chiefs, they may win, but they're not going to cover tonight. He's out in Kansas City. Peter, oh, thank you very much. They're going to They're covering they're for not, sure. They're not, they're not, we'll put dinner covering done. easily. But they'll double the My good see friend you. lives in Leewood. I've never been out to see him. i got to come out to see you guys. Dinner on Peter Malouk. That's where I live. Let's Four do it. Four and a half. Lions cover. Peter, thank you. Not a chance. It was. Okay. Not a chance. See, 99% of the time, if you say. <laughs> All right, still ahead. Have you or your kids downloaded the shopping app Timu? Well, you may have because it's the number one free app on the App Store. And if you have, listen up. A damning new report from a short seller claims the app is less about shopping and more about spying on you. That's next. All right, welcome back. A short seller betting a stock will fall is taking aim at Chinese e-commerce giant PDD. Now, you've probably never heard of PDD, but you may have heard of its former name, Pinduoduo. 
It is a giant in China. It's worth more than $100 billion. And here in America, it operates the wildly popular shopping app Timu, which offers very low prices on a variety of unbranded products made in China. But things may not be all that they seem. Grizzly Research published a scathing report today, which alleges that PDD is actually, quote, a dying fraudulent company, and its shopping app Timu is cleverly hidden spyware that poses an urgent security threat to U.S. national interests. Specifically, Grizzly alleges that Timu operates at a loss in part so it can collect all kinds of personal information on you and then turn around and sell that data to third parties. Now, many companies, of course, do that. But Grizzly believes that Timu might attract increased regulatory scrutiny given its ties to China. PDD shares selling off after the report, losing about 5% today. We, of course, reached out to PDD for comment. We have not heard back. Of course, they're just waking up, for the most part, out in Asia. Now we checked, and Timu is still the top downloaded free app on the App Store. In fact, it's been downloaded over 50 million times. So chances are you've used it or you know someone who does. So how concerned should you be if you are a Timu user? Joining us now is the CEO of Grizzly Research. That is Siggy Eggert. Siggy, uh, it's good to have you on the program. You call Timu the most dangerous malware slash spyware package currently in widespread circulation. Back up those claims. Thank you for having me, Brian. So um, we um, spend a ton of money, time and effort on uh, analyzing this app in depth, taking everything apart. And we found a, a bunch of very concerning factors. But I think most notably, we found the presence of self-compiling software. What this essentially means is that they can install any program on your phone once you downloaded the Temu app. And consequently, they can access your credit card records. If you have a banking app on your phone, they can access your bank records. They can read all the text messages you ever sent. Um, this is what? extremely concerning in our opinion. Okay, so you use the term self-compiling software. And again, we reached out to PDD, but I want to be clear on what you are alleging. If somebody, yes. if one of our viewers or listeners downloads Timu, they probably don't read the terms of service, or maybe that's not listed in them. Timu then can install other software you don't even know about on your phone to do things like read your text messages? That's exactly what I'm saying, Brian. You got it exactly right. And uh, the worst part about it is they're also circumventing, by the way that they do it, they're circumventing any malware detection that your phone usually would have and uh, that would be usually caught by your phone. But they're circumventing that through the mechanism. The data selling business, as we tried to allude to in the intro, Siggy, is nothing new. Everywhere you go on the internet, they track you, they sell your data. You just got to know it. What do you think, aside from kind of what you just said, makes this data collection a different level? In fact, maybe not just, you know, I'm going to harvest your data and sell it to somebody else that can try to sell you a magazine, but a threat. Yes, that is a legit question. I think uh, the first thing that I would say is um, it really relates to the first point that I mentioned. They're illegally stealing uh, any type of data um, um, that you could have. So that in itself, like stealing data, is illegal in the first place. And of course, it's turning around and selling it. I think the other concern is that Temu is a very, very quickly growing app in the Western world. They're spending uh, aggressively on advertising on all different kinds of campaigns to get all, as many app downloads as possible. They, for example, um, bought a Super Bowl halftime advertisement 
this year. And um, you got to wonder why someone would, you know, buy a Super Bowl mm -hmm. uh, halftime advertisement to sell you a pair of pants for $8.99. Siggy, have you talked to anybody in the U.S. government about this? Yes, we are in active conversations with uh, a range of regulatory agencies, and we think we're talking with relevant decision makers there and offering our resources actively to, to alleviate the issue. Siggy Eggert, Grizzly Research on PDD, formerly Pinduo Duo. Powerful stuff. Siggy, let us know what happens if uh, you get follow-up. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, you're welcome. All right, coming up, get promoted and then quit? It's happening. The strange new job trend hitting America. Next. All right, time for tomorrow's news tonight. Tonight, we got a legal roundup. First up, former FTX executive Ryan Salem has pleaded guilty to federal campaign finance and money transmitting crimes. As part of his guilty plea, Salem will have to forfeit more than one and a half billion to the government. Also pay $5 million to debtors of the now bankrupt FTX and an additional $6 million in fines to the government. A source revealed to CNBC that Salem is not cooperating, however, with federal prosecutors as they prep for the criminal trial against his former boss, Sam Bankman-Fried. By the way, that trial is set for October 3rd. Next up and just out, the Financial Times reporting that Goldman Sachs is prepping another round of job cuts for what it calls its bottom performers. The potential layoffs could come as early as next month. Now, just hours ago, CEO David Solomon appeared on CNBC and responded to an avalanche of negative press recently. I don't recognize the caricature that's been painted of me. I have a lot of colleagues and clients I talk to. They don't recognize that caricature either. Finally, an update on Disney's ongoing battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Disney has dropped most of its claims in its federal lawsuit against DeSantis. The suit now solely focuses on Disney's claim that the governor politically retaliated against Disney and therefore violated its First Amendment rights. It is important to note that last week, Disney asked to drop other claims in the case since they're being pursued in a separate state-level court in Florida. Remember, last month, we spoke with DeSantis down in Florida about this very lawsuit. Where we are today, um, you know, we've we basically moved on. They're suing the state of Florida. They're going to lose that lawsuit. So what I would say is drop the lawsuit. Powerful stuff. All right, in the meantime, you would think that a new promotion would signal longevity to come to get promoted. Stick around. But according to a new report, it turns out that a promotion may actually make employees more of a flight risk. ADP analyzed the full employment of histories of more than a million employees in America found that almost 30% leave their employer within a month of their first promotion, but only 18% would have left if they weren't promoted. That risk narrows around a six-month mark, but the question is this, why are some workers celebrating their promotions by quitting? Joining us now with further insight, we hope, is ADP Chief Economist Neela Richardson. <laughs> Neela, what? What's going on here? Hi, Ryan. Well, yeah, there's a lot of surprises in the labor market when you actually look at the data. And what we think that's going on is this very interesting period that bookends the pandemic between 2019 and 2022 was a very hot, very tight labor market. And the people who are most of a flight risk are people in low skill jobs, which were in high demand during the pandemic. So those workers, workers who in jobs that didn't even require a high school degree, they were six times 
more likely to leave after a promotion than if they hadn't been promoted. And that is because this market, if you had a credential, like a promotion, showing your quality, showing your value, that made you a very attractive hire for another company. So basically, it's, it's all about the money, right? You get a promotion. I'm, I'm assuming it doesn't mean a bigger title. It probably means more coin. And therefore, you can probably add to the more coin by leaving. So you get paid a little more briefly and then get paid more on top of that, I'm assuming. For some workers, that's definitely a factor. Um, also, it happens to be when a lot of people are rethinking their careers or thinking about that next step. So the timing in terms of when you get a promotion as a worker lines up really well with when you're starting to feel your way externally to see what your market value is. And so some of this is the conflation of a, a career path that is ready for the, that next step, whether internally or externally. But what we also found is that managers are more likely to leave after promotion than individual contributors. And that tells us that that transition from great to greater responsibility is a vulnerable time for employees. A lot of people get promoted to higher level managerial roles without adequate training or career development. So I would, if I were an employer, I would really look at that short-term period after a promotion and lean in to that worker to make sure that they are adequately resourced for that new role. I like that, lean in. You get, give somebody promotion and every day go up to them, are you leaving? Are you leaving? Are you leaving? <laughs> Do you have what you need? Are you leaving? Are, are you feeling comfortable in this Don't transition? Leave. I think that's yeah. a good idea. Thank you. Good, hey, good practical job advice. We love it. Neela Richardson, thank you very much. That could have been the RBI. All right, coming up, are you ready for some football? Who isn't? The NFL season kicking off in minutes and a record amount of you are expected to bet this year. So we got a fun new segment where I'm going to try to beat the books this season after killing it last year. Yeah, football is back. We are just minutes away from kickoffs. The Lions and the Chiefs kick off in Detroit and catch all the action, NBC and Peacock. And the start of the NFL season <clears throat> is good news for casinos and bookies, as a number of record number of Americans are set to bet big on the games. CNBC's gambling or gaming correspondent, Contessa Brewer. It's gaming now, Contessa. I can't say gambling, it's gaming. Sportsbook? I mean, it is gambling. We could just say gambling so it doesn't confuse anybody here. But when you say it, let, well, you should say it like this, Brian. A record number of Americans ah. say they'll wager on an NFL game this season. It's 58% more than last year, according to the American Gaming Association. The question is, will investors bet on sports betting stocks? DraftKings up year-to-date more than 170%, but it's off its highs and over that same time frame, look at Penn. That stock down 26%, down 10% just over the last month, even though it has now announced this, too much fanfare, deal with ESPN to rebrand its sportsbook. Caesars, MGM, DraftKings, FanDuel's parent, Flutter, all lost ground over the past month. And though these companies have all turned a profit in a given quarter, none have sportsbooks that are profitable. An investor and enthusiastic gambler just ask me tonight, what gives? He says, well, how can that even be? Launching sportsbooks in new states is expensive. It is a fierce battle to attract customers. 
football season provides a huge opportunity. And so the gambling companies spend big on promotions and marketing, for instance, this quarter, football quarter, and that impedes the opportunity to turn a profit. But newcomer, Fanatics, says, yeah, we're just going to take a different approach. We're actually acquiring users at about 80% less than the competition because we already have a database, we already have a well-known brand, and so our unit economics are phenomenal, um, and we're acquiring already users at scale. So from our, from our perspective, really what we're trying to do is to invest more in the rewards program back to users as opposed to spending all of our money up front to acquire them like the incumbents. In fact, Matt King said the Fanatics rewards program is cash back. Caesars and BetMGM use the power and the allure of their resorts to reward customers. And they have massive customer databases. Penn has land-based rewards, too. I mean, they have casinos. Still, the market leaders, they don't have casinos. DraftKings and especially FanDuel just dominate the U.S. sports betting landscape because they came to the party with a lot of uh, fantasy sports customers, Brian, and also, people just really like their platform. The marketing, it's like you don't hear from these companies, Contessa, almost all year. And about a week or two before college and pro football kick in, you can't go anywhere. they got to be spending a fortune on marketing. Yeah, well, I mean, football is by far the biggest sport to gamble on in the United States of America. And so that makes a lot of spend sense. Plus, think about this. Kentucky just launched today. They're going to throw all these dollars in Kentucky at making sure they elbow out the other guys and try to win some customer loyal loyalty. And by the way, gamblers are peculiar bettors. They don't actually have a lot of loyalty. They will follow the promotions. The sports books are getting wise to that and they're thinking, maybe this is not such a great deal. We're going to dial that back or try to be very tailored in the way that we offer promotions to our customers. I love it. Good stuff. Big year. You're going to be real busy here, Contessa Brewer, by the way. And love the sailboat. I just sure was that the America's Cup winner, 1873. Like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> Contessa, thank you. I think it's a schooner. All right. Well, those 73 million Americans can have all the fun. So tonight we're going to kick off a new segment. Can Brian, me, beat the books where I will give you Three NFL picks against the spread of the week. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I was over 60% against the spread last year, all in public. Won my pick'em league. But maybe it was just dumb luck, right? Flip a coin. So we're going to try it again tonight with three games each week. I don't need to say this. This is only for fun. This is not betting advice. Gambling is risky. It's easy to lose money. Do your own work. But, hey, let's have some fun with it, right? So with that said, let's jump into week one and maybe the – Last week we ever do this, depending on how it goes. Joining us is Kay Adams, host of Up and Adams on FanDuel TV and YouTube. She's going to grade my picks as okay or not okay. Get it? Kay Adams, you ready? I get it. I'm so excited. Football is here. Football is here. Gaming, gambling, sportsbook, whatever you want to call it is here. So I got three picks. I can't give away too much because I won my pick on league last year. And okay. some of the dudes in my league realized I was putting stuff on Twitter. And it got real tight toward the end. I came away victorious. Okay, here we go. <laughs> and you're, I, my guess is you're going to hate this one. And that's why I love it. Bengals, you know, Joe Burrow's Bengals, at the Cleveland Browns, the awful Browns, Browns plus two and a half at home. I think the Browns cover plus two and a half, the home dog. Ooh, 
I know why you're saying what you're saying. And there's been this thing, Burrow cannot beat the Browns. And he's had his trouble, but that nonsense went away week 14 last year. It is all about Joe Burrow, who's about oh. to be the highest paid player in NFL history any minute now, Cincinnati. But listen, they've got an improved offensive line, Orlando Brown. And Joe Burrow said yesterday he's the healthiest he's ever been to start an NFL season. I have them winning the Super Bowl. That's, that's a not okay, all right? Slamming my first pick. Let's go to number two then. And I didn't know you had a hat, by the way. You're just throwing it. Maybe if you have this hat, I'm going to be shocked. All right, 49ers at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers underdogs. I love the home underdog. At home, take the Steelers plus two and a half. A-OK, not OK. I'm going to say it's okay, but I will say I don't know if the Steelers are going to win. It's it's a nice, sexy upset special, but I do think they're going to keep this thing close. The offense has looked great. George Pickens, Kenny Pickett's prime to make a leap as well. Uh, but I don't know. Nick Bosa back, missing all of the preseason, not too worried about that. Uh, if he'll be his DPOY, defensive player of the year, self out the gates, I think the Steelers come out strong in this one. Yeah, I mean, listen, 49ers could win the Super Bowl. They're a tremendous team, but you're on the road, first week jitters, it Acrisure Field or whatever they're calling it this week. Mike Tomlin, great coach. I think Pickett finds his groove. We're going to find, by the way, if Pickett doesn't find his groove at quarterback, he might have some longer issues. All right, my third pick, and this is not a home dog. This is the Mike Vrabel special. Tennessee Titans plus three at the Saints. Titans, I know the Saints, everyone loves the Saints. They're a very sexy, sort of trendy team. This year, wow. Derek Carr, quarterback. I think the Titans cover i think the titans actually win i would do a money line on this but i'll take the i'll get lazy and take the plus three on the titans i would love to dis to agree with you but i'm gonna have to say not okay i'm a big supporter of the saints they're a nice pick because they're healthy this team is never healthy i can't remember the last time that they had talent ready to go to start a season and they've got Derek carr running the show and i'll say this Let's make maybe it's less about the Saints and more about those Titans. Their defense was dead last against the pass in 2022. I think second year starter Chris Olave and Michael Thomas, who everyone forgets, are going to have monster games against this D at home in the Superdome. I know, but I'm just not a Derek. Listen, I'm not a Derek Carr believer because he was in the AFC it. West against. Let me ask you this: I'm, a, I'm the I'm a Chargers fan. I may be the Chargers fan. Still say San Diego. They got a shot this year. Very quickly, Kay. Chargers? Justin Herbert is my MVP pick. I spent time with them at training camp. I sat with Brandon Staley, their head coach. They are looking good on offense, defense. They have to be able to stop the run, of yep. course. But Ellen Moore, the old Cowboys OC, is going to have our boy uh, dropping back and just and launching to healthy wide receivers. Chargers always win the uniform game. Kay Adams, thank you. Sure. Love it. See you tomorrow night, folks. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.